wonderful example uh, to us even today of how the early church functioned as, as one body. And they were able to see so many outstanding things happen in their community, even that no one had need. And, and they grew in, in number. So it, it's a testimony to us of how uh, God works in a church when we are all together. Psalm 133 is a great example for us in Scripture from the Old Testament of being one body. If you have your Bibles or your Bible apps open today, we'd like to read that. You can follow along. Psalm 133. Hear the word of the Lord. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the beard, precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon, Mount Hermon, were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Psalm 133 is part of a collection of psalms. Psalm 120 to 134 is called Psalms or Songs of Ascents. Some of your Bibles place this heading below the chapter number, and these psalms were recited by memory as the Israelites would be making pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Generally, three times a year, they went to Jerusalem to worship together at one of the three important festivals. And you can read Deuteronomy 16, 16, and see which festivals those were. Even if people had to head south to arrive at Jerusalem, it was still ascending to the holy city. It was as if people were closer to God when they arrived in the holiest of cities as a body. You can just imagine them uh, chanting these psalms in rhythm as they marched on their pilgrimage uh, to Zion. And this psalm expresses their sheer joy, the sheer joy that God's people uh, felt as they journeyed together, and it expresses the sheer joy that God must feel when his people are of one mind and one spirit. It tells us how good it is when God's people dwell together in unity. How good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in unity. Just how good is it? The psalmist uses two illustrations, precious oil and refreshing dew. Precious oil and refreshing dew from Mount Hermon and describes joy and holiness. And this is pleasing to God. So in verse 2, uh, the, the scripture says uh, this this unity, this dwelling together in unity is like precious oil or costly oil uh, poured on the head and running down the beard. It is like precious oil poured on the head running down on the beard. And you might think, that sounds really strange. That makes absolutely no sense to me today. That's archaic. Well, let's think about it for a minute. Uh, this 
precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, uh, speaks to the wonderful spirit of joy when a guest entered the Jewish home. When that happened, typically, if it were you and arriving at your family's home, uh, your feet would have been washed after a long day's journey, and then uh, at some point, oil would have been poured over you, and it would have if you were a male, run down uh, your, your beard, as the scripture describes. This was an act of hospitality. It, it said, we're going to give something that's precious and costly to us that we, we used hard-earned money to purchase, and we're going to show our hospitality to you and bless you since you have come to bless us on this journey. They were the guest of honor and all attention was on that person. And, and joy just overtakes the home, and, and there's not anything that's going to get away from that. For me, it, it sort of reminds me of the reception that we, we would get when, as a child, we would travel all the way from South Carolina to Philadelphia. It was about a 12-hour trip. My brother and I would be in the back seat, elbowing each other and fighting and squishing each other and all the things that brothers do when we're on the long trip like that. Usually it was a big station wagon. My dad at that time worked for Avis Rent-A-Car, so he would get a station wagon and we would pack it and we would go uh, to visit. And, and, and sort of like this um, uh, picture of grandparents, our, my grandparents would welcome us when we came in and, and just pinch our ch- cheeks and, oh my, how, how tall you are. Where has the time gone? Oh, uh, we've got some of your favorite cookies, why don't you come on in and I'll, I'll, I'll get you some of those oatmeal cookies and some milk. We're just so glad you're here. Um, you probably have had some similar experience and this takes place before um, the guys start talking about the traffic and the slow service at the restaurant and the bad gas mileage and before they start talking about the money that they owed each other and some of the resentment that family has that starts creeping in, all that, none of that yet. It's just the sheer joy that you've arrived. It's this uh, way that uh, oil would have been uh, poured over the guest as they came into the house. Uh, God is saying that unity in my family um, is is like that, and it brings joy to the heart of of God. I, I, I sense that there's there's a sweet spirit in the room and there's a sweet spirit in this place uh, we've been here almost three weeks and there's a sweet spirit in this place I hope you know that I think you do but doesn't it help to remind us every now and again that th- there's a sweet spirit at Huguenot Road Baptist Church I sense that as I watched you all serve Caritas a little bit last week. And some of the Caritas guests actually told me that, that this church cares for them much unlike a lot of the other churches that they visit and that they, where they stay. They said here at this church, they make us feel welcome. They make us feel equal. Some other churches, it's like they just want to get us in and get us out. And you need to hear that. That, that's precious. And I just want to thank all of you who served last week. Wilton and Carolyn, our team leaders, I believe you're here. Um, 
Thank you. And if you served Caritas or had anything to do with it, just raise your hand today. Just, just look at the hands going up. Thank you. Thank you. You all may never, we may never realize the impact that we have on people who are among the least of these, God's children. So thank you. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And I know that it's the spirit of the Lord. There are sweet expressions on each face. And I know that it's the presence of the Lord. And as the song continues, sweet Holy Spirit, sweet heavenly dove, you're right here with us, filling us with your love. And for these blessings, we lift our hearts in praise. Without a doubt, we'll know that we've been revived when we shall leave this place. That spirit is contagious. And people in the community will sense it when they see you out or when they come here. So the unity brings joy to the heart of God. And then we see another uh, aspect of, of the passage. Not only is it like oil running down a guest's head and beard, but it says it's like precious oil, costly oil running down Aaron's beard, the second part of verse 2, down on the collar of his robe. What's that about, Bob? All right, I get the other one. Now, what's this about? The psalmist is reflecting back to when Moses anointed Aaron as a priest. And the oil, the anointing oil, would have run down all his priestly collar and possibly down his garment to the to the hem of his robe, perhaps. But the picture here is of anointing a priest in the same way that Moses anointed Aaron. And while the anointing of a guest in the home spoke of joy and hospitality and warms the heart of God, uh, the anointing of a priest was a holy thing, and it was a pure thing, holy and pure. And so I would suggest the psalmist is trying to help us see that unity in God's family, when people dwell together in unity, that it's a holy thing. And holiness brings joy to the heart of God. Unity in the church, local and global, brings joy to the heart of God. Just how good is it? Verse 3, there's another illustration the psalmist uses. Just how good is it? Verse 3 says, It is as if the dew of Mount Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. And now you're like, okay, I get the other two. Now what's this dew all about? Well, there, there was a heavy, rich dew from the low-lying clouds that would just cover all of the land from Mount Hermon. It would cover everything. It's sort of like snow, when we, all of the snow that we've had, when the snow falls, it covers everything. It's the great equalizer. You really can't tell the good from the bad or the pleasing from the not because everything is the same when it is covered. It's sort of like the dew from Mount Hermon just comes and it covers the land, and there's this image uh, that the psalmist is helping us to see. That all of us, under God's grace, are seen as equal. That He is not a respecter of persons. There's nobody who's in or out. As we have faith in, in God through Christ Jesus, we are part of God's family. 
And then the dew of Mount Hermon sustained the life in the fields and the valleys around it would yield a rich harvest. From a spiritual perspective, the psalmist is helping us to see that God's people would experience His abundant blessings as they gathered in the holy city to worship Him. The image is that the dew from the north would perhaps, even if it was just an image, cover all of the north and the south and that all of God's family were one. And it reminds us as Mount Hermon is such a, a majestic mountain seen from far away uh, that we would, if perhaps we were there, we might sing, praise God from all whom, uh, praise God from whom all blessings flow. This dew gives life. God gives life. The unity of God's people enables a church to cross barriers that are erected by humans. It is refreshing to those who are thirsty for the living water that God provides. Now maybe you need a contemporary illustration as I do when I read some of these older texts to help bring it together. Uh, one, and now I'm not such an Ohio State fan at all, uh, and I'm talking football today, but they beat VCU last week, and I'm not happy about that. Um, but Ohio State football, as you know, is a solid program coached by Urban Meyer, and they won the national championship. And during the football team's run to the national championship last fall, I, I read an article about Coach Meyer. And the sports writer said, since becoming a head coach in 2001, Urban Meyer has believed in certain tenets. For example, he would tell his players, go from point A to point B as fast as you can for four to six. Point A to point B as fast as you can for four to six, the number of seconds in the average play. Or, play for your teammates more than yourself. Or, embrace responding to pressure. These are some good things that he'd been doing over the years. And then, not terribly long ago, he ran into a guy named Tim Kite, K-I-G-H-T, at a fundraiser. And they struck up conversation and it ended up striking up friendship. And he learned that Tim Kite was not only a former track star, but also a pastor, a former pastor, who now runs a leadership development firm called Focus 3. And as they began to work together, Urban Meyer brought him on to teach his coaching staff and ended up teaching all of the units, on, whether it was the offensive unit or the defensive unit or the quarterback unit or the receiving unit or the special teams unit. Uh, they, they taught some skills and some principles to these players that would help them on and off the field. For us... It's a formula for unity. And in your notes, if you're taking notes, I've provided it's E plus R equals O. E plus R equals O. If you say that with me. E plus R equals O. Event plus response equals outcome. And this translates over to our lives so well. Event plus response equals outcome. And the sports writer says that a football game is a never-ending game of ease, of events, things that the players face. And then they, they need to be able to respond appropriately to have the most positive outcome as they possibly can. And then, Tim Kite says, but off the field, this also applies, whether in the classroom, whether in a bar, 
whether in a conversation with somebody of the opposite gender, whether at home in a conversation with your family or a child with your parents, you and I can use this principle all the time, no matter what life throws at us. The event and our response yields the outcome. And I would say this helps us as a church when we are together as a body in Christ, each of us uh, carrying out the particular gifts and exercising those abilities that God has given us. uh, When we are together and we face an event, maybe it's a crisis situation, it could be medical, it could be something that the church needs to decide upon, that event, and when we are together led by the Holy Spirit, and we respond in a Christ-like way according to Scripture, then we will have a much more positive outcome. Our R, our response, must be stronger than any E event we face. That's a great way of looking at unity, not only in sports, but in the church and in life in general. I think it crosses over. Another great illustration is right from Scripture, and it's marriage. In, in um, Genesis Chapter 2, we see this picture of how husband and wife came to be one flesh. And I use this often in premarital counseling. Uh, Follow along if you'd like, starting at verse 20. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And here's the the key principle. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they shall become what? One flesh. One flesh. I love this when I use it in premarital counseling because I look at him and I say, Um, all of your money is now hers. What? I didn't sign up for that. And I look at her and that debt on that truck that he has, (laughs) that's yours. And look at him, her student loans, (laughs) they're yours. Sorry. Yes. It's no longer hers and his. It's ours. One flesh. What about the business specter? I, I read an article as I was searching for uh, some, an example in the business world about Wells Fargo. And they're a large multinational company with many business units. But they have part of their culture adapted something called One Wells Fargo. And that is that every Wells Fargo team member has one thing in common. They all work for the customer. When they communicate with customers, no matter where it is, they have this philosophy that they care for the customer. Consistent, approachable, respectful, and empathetic. This is ingrained into the the culture. Uh, They seek to be one. The church, we seek to be one with Christ Jesus as the head of the body. And then I love this prayer that Jesus prays with his disciple the night before he died on the cross. It's a prayer that his disciples and the ones who would come after would be one. Start uh, John 17, 11. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be 
one as we are one. And then in verse 20, Jesus prays, continued, uh, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe, who will believe in me through their message. These are the people that the disciples would influence to become followers of Jesus. So Jesus is not only praying for the disciples, but he's praying for the ones who would come after them and the ones who would come after that. And I pray and I believe that that prayer applies to us even to this day. That verse 21, that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I in you. May they be, uh, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. Jesus is connecting his oneness with God the Father through the body of the believers. And verse 23, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity, that the, the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So how do we please God? The psalm says how beautiful, how, how good and pleasing it is when God's people dwell together in unity. What does Scripture tell us today? Paul uh, gives us a number of statements that have to do with being together as a body. And I, if you're taking notes, this, this, I believe, is something that we can apply to our church life. Uh, first, do not ne neglect meeting together. Hebrews 10.25, and let us not neglect our meeting together. This is worship. Let, let us not neglect corporate worship. Yes, personal worship at home is vitally important, but corporate worship is so important. It gives us strength as we face the week that we leave here to, to, see, to experience. Let us not neglect meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Next belong to one another Romans 12 5 uh, belong to one another so in Christ though we are many form one body and each member belongs to the others this means we are not silos but that we collaborate together and I believe that this is something that you all have identified in your uh, transition process we are we're not called to be silos but we belong to one another third encourage one another uh, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. And Hebrews 3.13, But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I don't know about you, but encouragement sure is, is meaningful to me. And I know that I seek to give encouragement to my daughter and to my wife and to those who are around me. Uh, it, it's, it's so powerful when we are encouraged and give encouragement. Next, forgive one another. Paul says uh, in Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ in Christ God forgave you. And this I see happening uh, around us in this church family. Bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens or bear each other's burdens and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Some of you are carrying heavy burdens, and you need somebody to come along and lift you up. Don't stop doing that. And the last one is love one another. Jesus, 
First uh, John, well, John says it and then Jesus says it in First John 3. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. And then Jesus in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another by this. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How good and pleasing it is when we worship together. How good and pleasing it is to God when we belong to one another. How good and pleasing it is to God when we encourage one another. How good and pleasing it is to God when we forgive one another. How good and pleasing it is to God when we care for one another. How good and pleasing it is to God when we love one another. And they will know that we are Christians by our love. 